Come on. Come on. Come on. God is good. How many glad to be in God's house this morning? It's good to be home. Good to be with you. Although my body is in this time zone, my internal clock is not. And so keep praying that we can get over this jet lag and be here physically, spiritually, and emotionally every way. Amen. Good to be with you. How many have been good this summer? It's like five of you. How many have been good this summer? Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap. Good. I'm going to jump into the mixtape series. I've got the next two weeks of this series. And part of the reason we did this, there's actually three reasons we did it, is because one, music is a powerful, powerful medium, has the ability to trans transport you back to, how many know if you hear certain love songs, takes you back to that love interest back in the day, right? But also this song in particular, I chose it because it takes us back in a time in our country when there was a lot of unrest. Some of you will remember when this song came out, the first time when it came out. And it's still number four all time selling on the, on the I think it is the uh, Rock Hall of Fame type thing. It's still a very, very popular song, but it transports us back as well. And also, here's, here's the real reason we're using the mixtape series as well as sort of a backdrop to communicate spiritual truths. It's because oftentimes the church has been silent to things that have been going on in the culture and, and lost her prophetic mandate and her prophetic voice to speak to things in the world, not just in the church pews. How many know that you are supposed to spill out of here and transform the world, yes, for the name of Jesus? And so sometimes... We've been silent. We haven't spoken to things that were going on in the culture because maybe they were too tense or it would cause persecution or this and that and the next thing. And God says, listen, my voice will not be silenced. And he's used artists and artisans to communicate, paint, draw, rap, communicate through music, poetry, his prophetic message to the world. And lastly, the reason we did it is so that we could disrupt some religious spirits. Come on, y'all. I got to be honest. Um, before I get started, there's something I want to say. I want to congratulate Jared for two years so bright. Stand up, Jared. Two years of sober and clean living. Yeah, man. We couldn't go on in this service without recognizing that. Some of you are on the same journey of sobriety. Keep up that, that journey. Trust God to empower you to fulfill it. For those of you men that were here, there, there's men and women, but in particularly the men that may be ashamed to go in a fight club, I'm here to tell you that freedom is better than bondage and shame. I lived in bondage and shame to pornography, and I'm here to tell you living in the light and having a community of unconditional men around you to help you fight and defeat that enemy is far better than living in shame, coming to church every week, slipping and dipping and falling, but never, never, never getting free. We have a method and a process and a strategy that God has given us to help you win at that. Amen? So let's fight together and let's not avoid it. Amen? So I just wanted to share that. So... This morning, that song, What's Going On, wasn't actually titled What's Going On. When it was originally written, it was written by a man named Ronaldo Obi Benson and another man named Al Cleveland in 1969. And really, it came out of his heart. 
It was something that came out of an experience he had at Berkeley in 1969 when they went as anti-war activists and they showed up on campus and it turned into a bloody mess on that campus. It was called Bloody Thursday. And in fact, if you Google Bloody Thursday, you'll find several of them in our nation's history where law enforcement, different ones clash for different reasons. Um, the law enforcement agents are there to keep peace and order, and then, you know, things get out of hand. One thing led to another. And so he came back from that, started writing what's happening, and, and they said immediately people came against him and castigated him and said, hey, you're writing a protest song. And he says, no, it's not a protest song. It's a song of love and understanding. I'm really trying to understand what is happening in our world as we send our children over to Southeast Asia and as our streets blow up, racism persists, economic disparity exists, and so he penned the song, What's Happening? Now, at the same time, our Marvin Gaye was going through some issues himself with Barry Gordy and Motown. How many of you remember Motown? Amen. So Marvin Gaye was coming into this season in his life where he basically said, I can't keep singing these ballads and love songs for Motown, and, and our streets are exploding with fire. And you got to remember, this is a backdrop of the Watts riot, all of the race relation issues that we had, all of the things that were going on in our country, which, by the way, sounds a lot similar to what's happening today. And so you can see how the arts are being used. In fact, in the 80s when, when we weren't seeing the coverage of what was going on in the neighborhoods that I lived in, in the 1980s when crack was going crazy throughout our neighborhoods and people were dying in the streets, that wasn't making front page news, but a group by the name of NWA and different other groups, Public Enemy and different ones started rapping about what was happening in the inner cities because the church wasn't doing anything about it, politics wasn't doing anything about it, and so they gave voice to what was happening in the neighborhoods. And this is how art is creatively used. Now, Marvin Gaye used it as a protest song. He made no bones about that he was protesting, but Barry Gordy didn't have anything to do with it. Those of you that remember the time, Motown had crossover appeal. So it wasn't just for black people, it was for everybody. And Barry Gordy recognized that they was having a lot of commercial success. And he was like, no, I don't want to touch it. And so this song became What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. He changed and rewrote some of the lyrics of it, but it was for the same reason. And you saw some of the images that were portrayed in a video as the song was being played, which by the way, my daughter did a great job on that song. Come on, give Johnson a big hand. Great job, baby. In fact, the whole team, I don't know what the doo-wops were doing. They were doing that thing. I didn't know we were going to even have that. Um, and so Marvin Gaye wrote that song with his heart hurting as well. And as I sit here this morning, I got to be honest with you, that question in 2022 is just as valid as it was in 1970. When you look at your news, when you look at the media, when you look at what's going on in Portland, somebody recently remarked to me, it's like, I can't even go downtown anymore. Remember when you could go downtown and you could, one of my friends used to call it pub crawling. Anybody know about pub crawling? Where you start in one place and you just keep eating, you know, happy meal, or what is it, happy hour, you just keep happy meals, sorry. <laughs> and you just keep going from one place to the next, and now when you go downtown in Portland, it's not really safe in certain sections. And there's a stain and a scar in downtown right now from what we experienced last summer and, and what we've gone through in the pandemic. And so we are not without, and here's what I want some of you that are older in here to know. This is a question that our young people are asking. They're asking, and we don't have really good answers. 
And, and so the answers that we've given were politics answers. And we said, well, it's the left's fault. And, and the left will point back to the right. And our young people are looking at that saying, okay, that's not the answer. And then they come to church and they find out that the church is landing up in different camps as well. And they can't even buy that. And they say, okay, so now Jesus doesn't even have an answer. How many know Jesus does have an answer? And the church is still Jesus' answer. Come on, somebody. Now, now, now watch this. I don't know if you want to say amen to this because I'm not talking about 1130 and you coming to church. I'm talking about you coming, getting equipped, getting healed, getting restored, and then you being the church everywhere that you go. That's what I'm talking about. So I know I just got back from Rwanda and, and my emotions are high. I confess that. I saw all of your kids, by the way. When I walked into a reception, they had all of the kids and their families. And um, my friend here from Wakanda, my brother, stand up, Corey, real quick. We, we, we bought the, because we're from Wakanda now. No, let me stop Rwanda. When we went into the compound, all of the families and their kids were there. And um, it, was, it was very moving. In fact, both of us got emotional and, and had to try to compose ourselves as we ministered to these kids that were swamped and dancing around our feet. It was just the absolute best. So... Um, pray for me as I still process those emotions, but the truth of the matter is, is I wonder, as I've been watching over the last decade, where's the lack of concern and empathy, and as we watch the violence and the cruelty unfold, we see people making statements and posts and declarations and not really thinking about what they're saying and what it would mean and how it would make someone else feel on the other end that's in lament, that's in sorrow, that maybe don't see things the way you see them or don't vote the way that you vote, and yet they're created in God's image and worthy of dignity, honor, respect, and love. There are no enemies. If you're a church, if you name the name of Jesus Christ, you have no enemies. Every single human being created in his image is a family member of yours, even though they may be disoriented, disillusioned, and lost from his fellowship. They are your family. Left, right, liberal, progressive, whatever you want to call them, however they want to solve the world's problems, they are God's children. And you and I are on a seek and recover mission. I don't know whether you recognize it or not, and, and maybe you say, well, I can't really see that. I don't act like God. I know. Neither did you. Hello, somebody. When that song was coming out, you was probably wearing flip-flops and little booty shorts and a halter top back in the day. I know you saved now and in church and got a good name and nobody even knows, but just keep looking straight ahead. The Lord knows. The Lord knows where he found us. Come on, somebody. Touch your neighbor and say, that's real. Touch your neighbor and say, that's real. I don't want any of those old movies played in my life, trust me. <laughs> the truth of the matter is humanity's always suffered. Humanity's always been in this condition. We've always had this problem with one another. Amen? Now, here's what I want to say to you. Jesus saw the same carnage in his day. He was looking out over Jerusalem, and this is what he said in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus, it says in, in Matthew chapter 9, 35, it said, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. I, 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 I wonder 
When you see our city, our community, our world, our nation, when you see what is going on, when you see homeless people, when you see drug addicted people, when you see our neighborhoods going the way they're going, when you see rent control out of this world, when you see not unfair housing and all of the things that, that would come against marginalized and, and keep people locked in and all those things, I wonder what your response is. Because when he saw the crowds of his day, because they were, watch this, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus saw them as harassed and helpless and as sheep not having a shepherd. Now, the Bible uses this metaphor of us being sheep and this illustration of us being sheep and Jesus being a shepherd and us in desperate need of a, sheep, of a shepherd. Let me just say to you, I have not worked on a farm, but I do understand Google and YouTube. Come on, somebody. So that means I found out a few things about sheep. And let me give you a little spoiler alert about sheep. He is not complimenting us by calling us sheep. That is not a compliment. If you know anything about sheep, if you Google it for five minutes and you'll be like, hey, Lord. Okay, so here's a couple of things I found out about sheep. Sheep are completely defenseless against predators. Sheep have no natural sense of direction. They're always lost, always wandering, would wander. Listen, literally, sheep would keep their head down and eat and walk off of a cliff and kill themselves. Aren't you glad he called us sheep? Come on. I'm not done yet. I'm not done. Sheep would eat themselves to death. I said that, unless they made the lie down and that type of thing. Shepherds have to tend their wounds. They're always getting nicked up. They're always infected with something susceptible to disease and infection. The weak are preyed upon sometime and trampled upon by the older, grouchy, crankier sheep. Not in humanity. Come on, y'all. And last but not least, sheep tend to stink. They secrete an oil called lanolin mixed with all of the dirt and decay and different things. They come to be stinky. And so the idea, I remember in Pharaoh's, in Pharaoh's day when Joseph brought his family down and they found that they were shepherds and shepherds would tend to stink because they were sheep. So they kept them away from everybody else. How many know that the Lord knows what he's doing when he calls us sheep? Come on, somebody. Touch your neighbor and say, bye. No, I'll do it. <laughs> Isaiah 53 says it this way, though, in verse 6. It says, we are all like sheep, went astray, we turned each one to his own way. Isn't that true about us? That we do things, and some of you are sitting here right now as a result of having done things your own way, and now you are convinced that you are in need of a shepherd named Jesus to come and be a savior for your soul because you got enough of doing things your own way and eating the fruit of that, and now you come to a place called church and you lift your hands and worship a savior because you got full of doing things your own way and wandering off only to have Jesus come get you. How many found Jesus will retrieve you sometimes when the church, he'll go places that Christians won't go to go get? you. Anybody ever found that to be true? Isn't that right? It's funny because a lot of times we won't go places that Jesus actually went. Well, y'all not talking to me this morning. I'm finding something you like. Don't worry. Our days are, are really familiar. The Bible, listen, by the way, there's nothing that human beings are going to create that hasn't already been done in history. 
And in the, in the days of Noah, they look very similar to the days that we live in now. Just before the flood, Noah, it was said of Noah in Genesis chapter 6 and uh, verse 9 through 14, it was said this way. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Shapheth, and notice what it said about the time that he lived in. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. Isn't that where we live right now? Who would have thought that you would have to lock down schools, post guards at school while kids go to learn because they could get shot with weapons in school? Who ever thought that? By the way, we spent time thinking through security plans to make sure that when you come to worship God, that even in a place of worship, violence has, outbra- has been outbreaking all over our country. That even now, we've got to make sure that you are safe, lock certain doors, lock the kids down, because violence pervades in our society. Are you hearing me? So you might want to sing the song that Marvin Gaye sang or Obi sang, what's happening or what's going on? Well, what's going on is sin is proliferating and has proliferated over time. Let me give you a little, little clue. What ails our country right now is not one political party having, because they both had control. Come on, somebody. They both get control back and forth. So if one was going to fix it or something human was going to fix it, how many of you realize what ails our society has its roots not in a White House, not in Salem, not in our city council. What ails our world is spiritual. And if it's a spiritual problem, freshly solutions won't solve it. So while we're busy wrestling with people, The question would be, if you're wrestling with people, then who's wrestling with principalities and powers in the unseen realm? Who's wrestling with them? Who's praying and fasting for our communities? Who's praying and pulling down strongholds of poverty over certain areas of our city? Who's pulling down spirits of murder and violence? Who's who's pulling on those while we're being discipled by the news media? Which, by the way, they're lying to both sides. Amen. Amen. After the fall, after the flood, it says this in Genesis chapter 8. It says, Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the, all of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, watch this, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood." Never again will I destroy all living creatures as I've done. David said when he had been, when he had been convicted by Nathan the prophet, having sinned and, and committed murder, says this about him. He wrote these words. He said, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Let's just understand that all of us, 100% collectively, even in the children's ministry, are sinful. You don't believe your little baby is sinful? Just get a hidden camera right now. And just follow your little sugar booger over in the children's ministry. No doubt they've snatched the truck from somebody, said it was mine, even though they ain't got no money and ain't bought nothing. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Somebody else just discovered they got teeth and bit somebody else's child, and you're going to be telling me how the children's ministry is not saved. No, because there's sinners over there, little sinners. (laughs) I got some sinners over there, too. It's amazing. Lala has a, a little sister who... She's a great big sister most of the time. But every now and then, pow, she'll give her a little hot one. (laughs) Now, I'm not sure 
But I'm, I, actually, I'm pretty sure Seth did not teach her to hit her sister, and Keisha did not teach her. It came loaded in the unit. She already knows how to lie. Came from Seth's side of the family, I'm sure. That's, that's where that came from. I got a word of the Lord. I know where that came from. She knows how to lie. She knows how to deceive. Where was the class in that? Where was the training? And so it only gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And since Genesis 3, the proliferation of sin has continued, we are perfecting it. And the only interruption and the only salvation is an ark of safety, which Noah found. And the ark of safety for you and I, his name is Jesus. He's the Savior. He can deliver. He can set free. He can give you a new heart. He can give you a new nature. It is He that cleanses and washes the human soul, and only Him. And it's not, listen, you say, well, I'm a good person. No, you're not. There are no good people. There are only dead people, and only Jesus makes dead people alive again. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. The real problem is found, Paul wrote it to the Roman church in Romans chapter 1, the real problem is, is we've created gods in our image. You know, we got power, we got money, we got pleasure. We've got all of these gods that we created in our image. And unfortunately, they're not gods at all. And, and this is why I believe a generation now of young people have been lost and sent adrift. Because all of the gods that we gave them, and we said Jesus was just one among others. Because we had Jesus as God, but we had our money, and we wanted power, and all of the other, and pleasure. And so all these other gods got overturned during COVID. And so now the world is groping and looking for hope. You are the only ones that have the answer. Please don't leave out of these services week in and week out, leaving here waiting to rail against the culture and bring condemnation, guilt, and shame to people who are struggling or erring or who don't worship like you or vote like you. Please don't leave here with that message. Leave with a message that says God loves you. Yes, though you are dead in your trespasses and sins, Jesus can make you alive. Leave with that message. Leave with the message that I was once without hope. I was once perverted. I was once addicted. I was once estranged from God, but I've been brought near. I didn't close the gap between me and God. Jesus closed the gap. I placed my faith in him, and he saved me, and he'll do the same for you. <laughs> Romans 1 and 21 says it this way. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise... Oh, this generation claims to be so smart. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And you can fill in the blank. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Isn't it funny that the gods that we create don't ever reprove us? The gods that we create don't ever correct us. They don't ever hold us accountable. They're always okay with the sin that we like. If sexual immorality is your thing, then your God winks at that. And I never mind that I'm here to tell you that God is still a holy God and a righteous God. And whatever it is that we like, our God likes it too. 
Isn't that a funny thing? That you never get corrected, that there's never any rebuke, there's never any adjustment. You just keep right on going and your God goes, yeah, go ahead and do that thing. Yeah, because you created it in your image. But the last time I checked, the God that I serve in his word demands that something about me conforms to his will. And that even when I think I got it, I'm off. How many of you notice when you think you got it, you're off? So that means when you think you know everything that there is to know about whatever it is you think you know, your thoughts are not God's thoughts and your ways are not God's ways. So there should always be humility. There should always be something. When you sit down and talk to somebody and you think you got it, there should always be humility in your heart because even when you think you got it, your heart could be off. And the way you're going about doing a thing is not the way God would do it. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I get Coco. Like I got her nailed. I got the, listen, I got the facts. I got the time. I got everything. And I'm giving it. I'm on the right side of the argument. Anybody ever been there? Now, some of you men are not going to rock with me. I got you, cowards. But every now and then I get her. And I'm like, oh, I got you this time. And no, because the way that I'm doing it is not right. Even though, you know, you can have the right facts about a person and still be wrong because God knows all the facts about you and still loves you, still forgives you, still graces you. And isn't it funny that those of us that have received so much grace dispense so little of it? How about this week you leave out of here and just say, you know what? <laughs> How many of you gotten grace? Lift your hand. How many, how, many, how, many, how many know that you got a double portion of grace? Just put both hands in the air. And the rest of you put your feet up. You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. So then why don't we leave here, and instead of you being so daggone prideful about whatever it is you know, how would you just give somebody grace? How about, how about the next time somebody says something cross and just a certain way, how about you just give them grace and say, I don't know what the day has held, what they've gone through, what their marriage is like, what their family is like, what their kids are putting them through. I don't know the load that they're carrying. So I'm just going to give them some grace. Instead of taking the offense all the time, I can't believe you didn't speak to me today. Blah, blah, blah. Why don't you just give grace instead because that's what you're getting all the time and we're constantly offensive to God. Ooh, aren't you glad PK's home now? <laughs> Can I get to my second point? Do you realize that what you see determines your response? What you see determines your response. Jesus saw humanity, not just Israel, but humanity. So zoom in and get Israel. He is speaking directly about Jerusalem and what he is seeing. Zoom out and see all of humanity being harassed and helpless, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to step into that story. I'm going to self-sacrifice. I'm going to give myself to them. I'm not going to condemn when I come. You know, Jesus, of all people, could have brought a condemning word to every sinner, and he didn't. And here's a, just a secondary thought. Jesus was attractive to sinners, Sinners wanted to hang out with Jesus. Why don't sinners want to hang out with church people? Selah, don't answer that. Just think about it. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Hmm. Hmm. 
While Jesus was having dinner, Matthew, Mark chapter 2, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners, say sinners, were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Nope. Question you'd have to ask yourself if I'm following Jesus, when's the last time I ate with some sinners? Uh, Just a thought. (laughs) On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What, what do you see when you look out? When you walk through our town, when you walk through our community, what do you see when you see people? Because whatever you see determines your response. If you see homelessness and you immediately get frustrated, like they're tearing our neighborhoods up, I just can't believe the property values are going down, or you see them as deranged, disillusioned, disoriented children of God who are mentally ill, addicted, who down on their luck, who've had hard things happen to them, and you immediately become an intercessor. There's a different response based on what you see. What you see and how you are responding will dictate the outcome. Jesus saw them as harassed and helpless and had compassion. That's hard for me sometimes. I'm just going to confess. I'm preaching it, but I had to eat it first. Is that all right? Touch your neighbor. Say, he's with us. Touch your neighbor right now. Because some of y'all think I'm not in the same boat. There's something about me that when I pull up next to somebody and they want my change, and I'm thinking, go to McDonald's and flip burgers. Why do you want my money? I work for mine. I steward mine. What's wrong with you? Why don't you go get a job? Those are the thoughts that I have. And then the Lord starts dealing with me about my attitude about my judgments, about my criticism, about my assumptions about people. Because I don't know where they've been. I don't know what they've gone through. I don't know what they've experienced. And some of you ladies in here right now, you're in your right mind and virtuous and, and Jesus and loving God and got a husband now and all of these great things. But there used to be a time where you wasn't that virtuous. There used to be a time where you didn't have a good name and you made some bad decisions. But just keep looking straight ahead because everybody know you as the church lady now. But I wonder if you have compassion for young ladies who come in here maybe and don't look like they understand what virtue is based on how they're dressed. And all of a sudden make assumptions. You start grabbing your husband a little tighter like she's going to take him off somewhere. <laughs> Rather than you putting your husband in check, hello somebody, dealing with his stuff, getting him to fight club, hello. <laughs> and maybe put tucking him away and saying, come here, girl, let's get some coffee. Why don't you come to lunch with me? Why don't me throw my arm around? I know exactly. I can see you from a long way off. See, I was, I was the original feminist before you became a feminist. I was the original sexual revolution girl before you was. Let me just tell you, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. You don't want that. You want something better. God's got something better for you, and I'm going to lead you to it rather than judge you, criticize you. Come on. Rather than us men of a certain generation saying, you guys don't have any work ethic, you don't do anything, you play video games or smoke drugs. Well, yeah, yeah, they do. They're medicating. Anybody that's doing drugs is trying to escape something. Addiction is all about anesthetizing pain. 
I was in, I was in Huye, where our children are, and we went to the University of Rwanda in Huye. It is, it would be symbolic of the Princeton or, or Harvard of their country. Like the best and the brightest go there and become leaders of the country, okay? And so I had all of these young men following me. It was like little ducklings. Everywhere I went, these little, these African, these African Rwandan young men were following me. And I'm like, dude, like back up a little bit. First of all, like COVID, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> they were on me. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, remember the genocide, Keith. They've had a generation of men taken from them. They have no fathers, no grandfathers, no male role models. There are young men between the age of 19 and 25 and 35 that have had no men because they were killed. They don't know what it is to be a man. They don't know work ethic. They don't know that they're supposed to pull their pants up because they're emulating American culture, by the way. I'm like looking at some dude, he had a bandana tied around his head. He had Jordans on, his pants sagging. like, oh my God, that's what we're exporting. That's what he's emulating. And the Lord spoke to me and says, yeah, there's a generation that needs fathers in Rwanda and in your city. And we're sitting in church and, you know, some of you men have been in, you know, been in groups, small groups and different things. And we got young men that are coming to our church that have no clue. And I can't disciple all of them by myself and Arlen can't. So who's going to do that work? While we sit back reading the news and, and, or looking at the news and listening to our favorite, you know, talk guy and they talk about this group and that group. And you can quote all of that nonsense and yet you can't see right beneath your, right beneath your nose in your own church and in your own city a void of leadership and spiritual leadership to step in to be fathers and mothers in the faith to make sure that another generation comes to know the Lord. Come on. Come on. Jesus saw it differently. He saw all of that was going on and said, hey, by the way, it's harvest time. He saw a harvest. He said, whoa, all of these harassed, helpless, disoriented, disillusioned people, it's harvest time. This is the moment. Now, here's what I do know a little bit about farming. We got some farmers here in our church, especially in the first service. And one of them told me, it's like, when it's harvest time, the clock is ticking. You got to get the harvest in before it spoils in the fields or on the vine. You got to get it in. So here it is at the end of the age. I believe we're at the end of the age. When is Jesus coming? I don't know. But look around. Know the season. This is our moment. The moment when there's dark, gross darkness on the earth. The moment when people are groping for hope and all of the gods that they've created have left them helpless without hope. Now is the time for the church to not be silent, but not be obnoxious and prideful and self-righteous either, but to run out with grace and mercy and truth. And I love what Arliss says, you and I are carriers of the presence of God, that literally every place you go, the presence of God is going. So when you arrive, love arrives. When you arrive, the joy of the Lord arrives. When you arrive, peace arrives. When you arrive, gentleness arrives. When you arrive, long suffering arrives. Why? Because you're a carrier of the Holy Spirit inside of you. You don't just attend church, you are a representative Representative and ambassador of the living God. So stop talking to me about how dark it is and light up the darkness. You're the light. 
You're living in the light. What are you talking about? It's dark at school. Okay, young people, you're going to be the only ones that's going to be virgins at school. And that's okay. Then you become a majority and you stick together in community and say, we're going to live for God. We're not doing what everybody else does. We're not getting high with everybody else. We're not doing whatever they're doing. We're going to do something different because we're the light of the world and we're going to show you the real path towards life. Come on. You know what it is? We're so busy doing this, scrolling, scrolling, ooh, scrolling. Ooh, how many likes did I get? I don't care how many likes you get. How many people commented on your post? As if changing the world is a post. Are you serious? Every time something goes off, somebody says, are you going to say something? Are you going to say something? No, I'm going to do something. I'm not going to just write something. There's no way I can tell you right now. Here's, here's what has ruined me. There's no way that I can be a pastor and just be here every week entertaining Christians. There's no way. I can't do it. I can't spend my life doing it. But what I can do is help you get equipped, figure out what your gifts are, what your purpose are, and get you engaged in the mission of God in some regard so that we can change our world locally and globally for the name and the glory of Jesus Christ. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. Come on, you do better than that. Come on, worship team. What was Jesus doing? What was he about when he was on the earth? Luke 19 and 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you are a disciple of Jesus, then your priorities and pursuits ought to match Jesus's. I'm going to ask you a couple hard questions that I've had to ask myself. How much involvement do you have with unsaved people? People that don't know Jesus, don't come to church. If you spend 90% of your time with Christians in prayer meetings and Bible studies and, 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 and that's good. But who's going to reach them if you don't? Who, so while we're busy having church again, when are we going to be the church out there? I know we come in here to sing the songs, get encouraged, get bandaged up, get equipped, get the devil off our back. How many want the devil off your back? Come on. And live in community. But, but you know what happens? Our communities become closed. And people can't get in that don't look like us, that don't pray like us, that don't believe like us. And then nobody's left to the mission of God. And then Jesus says, hey, by the way, the harvest is plenteous. I just don't have enough laborers. We're not going to sing that song. Just play. Just stay with me. I don't have enough laborers. I don't have enough people that are in pursuit of me and have my priorities at the forefront of their life. My priorities over here, they're periphery, but they're not front and center in their life. They're not pursuing my mission, trying to figure out what it is I created them for so that they can play a part in this mission some kind of way. I want you to know that this church is not as good as it could be. It's not. You know why? Because some of you still haven't engaged the mission here with us. You come and you attend, but you don't participate and help us put it together so that we can get more people to come in and hear the message. But we're so busy trying to eat ourselves that they won't even realize that like sheep, we're so fat. We're so fat already. That if I could get you, everybody here, once or twice a month to serve in some capacity, then the 10% of people that do it every week could actually come to church some Sundays and not have to serve and sit down and relax, or take a Sunday off and go wherever they want to go. 
But you know what? We're so used to being consumers and coming in and consuming and consuming. And then we go back out. And it'd be one thing if we went back out and we were changing the world, but we're not. So here's what bugged me recently. Somebody said that their church went from 2,000 to 11,000, Arlen. We got church growth. We got churches busting at the seams. Their church is not busting at the seams because they got people that were secular in Portland saved. Their church is growing because somebody got offended over a mask or it was closed or something else. And the Christians went to that church. And they're calling it church growth. And I'm worried about the people in our city that are in darkness. I'm not worried about you. You got up this morning, came to God's house, knew enough to get dressed, get yourself here at a certain time. And yeah, you got some problems. I got you. Who doesn't have a problem here? Raise your hand just so I know who you are. Everybody's got a problem to varying degrees, right? Here's the one problem you don't have. You have your eternal destiny secured. So if nothing else worked out here, eternally, you know you're secure. So everybody you meet that doesn't know Jesus, no matter how much money they got and no matter what car they drive and what they live in, up in Persimmons and where they go on vacation, if they don't know Jesus, they're bankrupt and they're in jeopardy of losing their soul for an eternity. They're having a bad day. Do you understand me? on every head bow and every eye closed just for a moment of time. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Keith, man, you nailed me. More importantly, the Holy Spirit nailed me. I need to come home. I need to give my life back to the Lord. I used to walk with God. I hear what you're saying. I have wandered away from the Lord and I feel it today. There's distance. There's sin in my life and I need Jesus to be the Savior in the house and online. I need a savior today. I need to come home. I've wandered. I'm that sheep that wandered off, did my own thing, and I've suffered because of it. But I want to come home today, Pastor Keith. I'm glad you're here because I want to pray for you. If that's you, slip your hand up in the air and say, that's me, Pastor. Would you pray for me? I see your hand going up. I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hands. Anybody else? I see your hands. Lift your hands so I can see it high. Don't be ashamed. I got you. If you got your hand up, look at me real quick. Look up. Did you mean it? You mean it? You mean it back here? You mean it? Meet me right here. Come on. I'm going to jump down here. Come on. Meet me right here. I want to pray with you. Whoever else is coming, come on now. Now's the time to come. Same thing online. Identify yourself. Said, I need Jesus. Type, type it in the chat. I need Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Who else? Every head bow, every eye closed. You're praying right now, not spectating. There's somebody else. I'm going to wait for a few moments. I'm going to wait for a few. Come on. There we go. There we go. Who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? There you go, man. There it is. There it is. Give them a big hand. They're coming. Come on. You do better than that. All of heaven rejoices. Come on. That's all right. That's all right. Look at me. You've been on my heart since I've been gone. Like, you don't know this, but I've been praying for you. Now, you've got to make a decision because you already know. You know Jesus. You know what's up, right? 
You got to make a decision whether you're going to go for him or you're going to go for your friends, boyfriend, whatever else. No, no, no. At this point in time, there's a line that the Lord is drawing that you get to decide right now who you're going to be, what type of woman you're going to be. More importantly, whose you're going to be. Yeah. This is your moment. This is a real moment for you because whatever you decide right now is so impactful for your life. So I want you, if you're going to say yes to Jesus and no to everybody else, take one step forward right now. See how easy that was? Yeah. Here's the deal. You need the Lord to help you make those decisions stick. And your community, the people that are influencing you out there, don't help you do that. Mm -hmm. So then you got to be courageous, sweetheart. And if it means going by yourself, I can do it myself then. But you don't have to. Because there's a community of people that are trying. Now, if they playing games, coming in here, talking about, yeah, Jesus, and then turn it up, then get rid of them. Mm -mm, get rid of them too. Because there's some church people that do that. They turn up and say, oh, Jesus, Jesus, they got all the right language. But then their life don't line up when they're out of here. That's not what I'm talking about. And I'm not, just so we're all clear, I'm not talking about you giving your heart to a religious organization. I'm talking about a living relationship with Jesus, not this church organization. Does that make sense? So here's what we're saying. I remember the day when I was standing there just like this, not sure, worried about all these people. The only people you got to worry about is Jesus. That's it. That's the only person. And you know what I know about him? He's here to forgive, to reconcile you to the Father, and to start you again. That's what being born again is all about. And this whole community of faith, everybody had to come this way. I had to come this way several times, by the way. I was a little stubborn. Okay? So here's what you're saying right now. You're saying, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God died for the sins of the world, more importantly, my sins, and I'm making him the savior of my life, asking him to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Is that what you're saying? Okay. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to step up to the altar and start praying and make that your prayer right now. Go ahead. Step up. Step up somewhere. Find a place. Find a place. Come on. Give them a big hand right now. Come on. You do better. Come on, pray. Not looking at me. This is between you and God right now. This is your prayer before the Lord. This is you surrendering your life and repenting. This is not remorse. This is repentance. This means I'm going in a completely different direction. I'm changing my mind to agree with what God says about sin and what he says about me. But I'm also agreeing that in this moment, he is reconciling me to the Father through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for drawing these men. Come on, pray with me, church. Stretch forth your hand of faith. Thank you for these that have come. Protect the seed of your word. Same thing online. Receive Jesus as Savior. Let somebody know that you need Jesus. And they'll moderate. They'll, they'll help you. They'll minister to you. You might say, man, I got some other things going on in my life too. Let them know. They're there to minister to you provide a place, a line of hope and connection for you. But definitely, if you need Jesus as Savior, put that in. I need Jesus in big capital letters so that they know. Lord, bless 
these men and these women that are here today. In Jesus' name. And everyone say, look at me for a minute. Now, this is step one of a long journey. The only way, now, now here's what's frustrating to me sometimes. I'm going to give you some instruction. Everybody got a cell phone, right? Right. So here's what I need you to do in order for me to get involved and our team to get involved in your journey. There's a QR code on the back of your seat. Use your phone. Scroll down where it says, I said yes. Fill it out. And guess what's going to happen? Care and ministry is going to come to you. You don't have to do anything. Just fill it out. But here's what happens notoriously. People come, they pray, and they leave, skipping that step. That would be like a baby in the maternity ward being left. You just got started. You need encouragement. You need nourishment. You need teaching. You need equipment. You need community. You need a lot of things. But that can only happen if you use the QR code and get dialed in. And if you've already prayed and you know that I'm talking to you and you didn't use the QR code, do it today so that we can get involved with you. Amen? Give them a big hand clap as they go back to their seats. Stand to your feet with me all over the building. Come on. Stand to your feet with me. Our lives have to match the priorities and the pursuits of Jesus. You need to begin to ask the Lord to rearrange your priorities to match his. Every day when you wake up, you should be saying, Lord, I want to seek your kingdom first above everything else. I got plans, I got things to do, but you can interrupt any of that at any time so that I can seek your kingdom first. Do you hear me? And here's the deal. There's a mission. Young people that are under the sound of my voice, middle-aged men and women under the sound of my voice, mom and dads, there's a mission worth laying your life now for. Some of you older saints were birthed in the revival of the Jesus people movement. Don't die in the smoke. There's a new move of God coming. You want to jump involved that these young people need discipleship. I can't disciple all these young men and young women by myself. Arlen can't do it by himself. We got a few of us. Some of y'all know we're fat. You could easily facilitate five or six young men in a soap group to help us disciple another generation so that we could go and reach the world for Jesus locally and globally. I believe that there's a harvest right now available if we would just get in the harvest field. How many would say to the Lord, you're available? Lift your hand before the Lord right now. Mm -hmm. Lord, look down from heaven. See your people. Engage them. Empower them. Equip them to serve you. Your mission is all we want to be about. And all of the different capacities and unique ways that you call men and women, use us. Like Isaiah would say, here I am, Lord, send me. So, Lord, that is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And everyone said? You said what? Leave here and go be light and salt in the world. Amen. Go with God. God's going to go with you. I love you.